bits and pretzels inspire you. You will figure it out. This is clearly the place to be. Servus, everyone. I'm Britta Wedling, editor-in-chief of Bits and Pretzels. Welcome to another skyrocketing episode of our podcast featuring Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Captain Kirk, and our guest today, an investor from Munich who's just in love with space. His name is Hendrik Brandes, and he's the co-founder and partner at Earlybird, a venture capital investor focused on European technology companies. Hendrik has been investing in startups for 23 years and made his largest exit ever in January, when Turkish game developer Peak Games sold to Zynga for $1.8 billion. Earlybird made more than half a billion euros from that deal. Hendrik has worked through two different crises, including the dot-com crash and the financial crisis. And in this podcast, he's sharing his opinion on how entrepreneurs should deal with the current one and why Munich is on track to become a European innovation hub for space and deep tech. I see a positive flywheel here, um, which creates uh, more expertise, attracting more people, building on top of that. So I think the attractiveness of Munich is uh, its competence in various disciplines of uh, deep tech. Hi, Hendrik. Thanks for coming on the Bits and Presses podcast today. Good morning. Thank you for inviting me. Since we are here in the center of Munich, where life obviously is coming back, as we can hear in the background, and it's obviously a great opportunity to talk a little bit about what kind of innovation you are looking for here as an investor of Early Bird. But first, I want to greet you in a very special way, since we are both our Trekkies. I want to say, live long and prosper. <laughs> Thank you so much. You too. <laughs> I'm specifically interested in learning more about your opinion um, about the space industry, since I know that you have very personal personal connection uh, as an investor and as somebody who used to uh, study um, the space industry in college. So, so tell, tell us a little bit about, you know, your personal approach uh, to this specific topic. Yeah, first of all, I have to uh, give you, I have to tell you, you have to um, uh, listen to everything what I'm saying here with a certain caveat, since I'm biased. Uh, I'm an aerospace engineer by training, uh, spent my first professional career in aerospace and have always been passionate about uh, aerospace. And so um, it, it, so everything what I'm going to say might be a little bit colored. So at least my Which partner... Which is great, because we like to hear people's opinion, obviously. <laughs> No, um, uh, on the other hand side, I must say since uh, I left um, Airbus, which has been named Messerschmitt Böko Blom uh, when I was uh, part of that organization, uh, I actually had only very few touch points with the aerospace uh, industry any, um, anymore, unfortunately, I must admit. And um, for the first time um, after um, almost three decades now, I see a real business opportunity there. And I think a space is um, <clears throat> evolving as a platform technology for future entrepreneurial activities for lots of innovations. Right. So, so take us back to the time when you first became fascinated with space. You mentioned that you uh, studied it in college, uh, you worked at Airbus. What made you fast and be become interested in, in the topic in the first place? Oh, the, <laughs> Did you dream to, about going to mo the moon or to Mars? I never dreamt to, um, 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 to fly to moon, so I leave that with for others. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm impressed by the courage people have to do that, so I right. wouldn't have that courage. So I'm, I'm, I'm not a um, um, hidden astronaut, uh, not at all. 
But uh, actually, I'm uh, it, it, it initially um, it was fascination for flying, not so much for space. Mm -hmm. um, um, and actually, it goes back to, to to my childhood. I was always fascinating uh, by, by planes. Uh, I had lots of books. I, I just loved it. And uh, uh, way back um, um, uh, when I was still at school, I decided to become an aerospace engineer. And, Great. Um, and that passion um, yeah, kept up until now. And now you're obviously in the investor space, which is a different space, you know, um, as well. Why did you choose to go this different path to join the venture capital community? Um, I was um, in, in, in the R&D department of Airbus, uh, uh, Messerschmitt made Berko Blum back then. And, um, and just by chance, I um, uh, came in touch uh, with uh, McKinsey, who was serving um, um, MBB at that point of time. And it happened that I was delegated to the client core team. So I had the opportunity to work with McKinsey paid by Alba still for a year. And um, that um, created an opportunity for me uh, to change sides and as a as a pure engineer to learn something about management. I thought this is a great opportunity. And um, uh, so um, um, capital and money was scarce at these days and said, um, other than um, going for an MBA, which would have been costly, um, I just joined McKinsey, learn the same thing and get paid for it. So right. that was the governing thought. And it was always the idea to go back to aerospace industry after two or three years of paid education, if you want. Right. And, um, and as life place, um, outcome was different. So I stayed longer with McKinsey than initially attended. I became intrigued by um, um, the venture industry um, because I was part of the McKinsey business plan um, competition team for in 94, 95 in Munich and Berlin, got in touch with fascinating young entrepreneurs with great ideas, high level of energy and discovered um, the underdeveloped funding or financing infrastructure, venture capital infrastructure in Germany and Europe. And since I always had the dream to at some point of life become self-employed and entrepreneur by myself, Uh, the idea with my founding partners evolved to uh, become an, an entrepreneur and self-employed um, as, as, as a co-founder of Early Bird. And right. That happened then in 97. And since then, I'm with Early Bird and still very passionate about uh, within our industry. Yeah. Uh, your firm was founded 20 years ago and you once called your firm the Methuselah among the venture capitalists. So tell us a little bit about what you do here uh, with your three funds. As a Missoula, uh, Missoula, 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 <laughs> I mean, okay. you're still in, 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 in charge. I mean, obviously you did like a huge exit, but we talk about that later. But you're still, you know, in the industry. So, so talk so about, how, you know. So how do I feel as a Missoula? <laughs> I, I mean. Which you're I, not, I, you know, to tell this Thank to, you so much. No, no, I mean, um, 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 the um, um, calling us Missoula, Misudalem, um, I'm actually to a lesser extent talk about myself. Um, I rather talk about um, early bird as a firm. And the reason being is that um, the industry, the venture industry in itself is, is a young industry. The, uh, the first larger wave of venture capital firms have been created in the late 90s as early bird as well. Yeah, uh, on the back of the emerging um, dot com um, 
hype or um, the first internet hype. I mean, there were like some venture capitalists in Silicon Valley, but, you know, yeah, no, but go in, ahead. In yeah. Silicon Valley is different. I'm only right. not, not talking about a global myth. Right. We are only a local myth. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is better. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I'm serious. And on the back of the, um, the first internet wave, I think um, there were more than 100 uh, new venture firms created. Um, in uh, 2000, I think um, the BVK had 107 uh, VC members. Out of these 107, um, there were just three who survived. Early Bird is one of the three. And uh, the uh, current um, yeah, universe of German um, venture firms have then been added after 2000 uh, over time. And we are obviously older than most of them, yeah, together with the other two, uh, uh, um, which also stems from, from the pre-2000 phase. So this is why I call us as a firm, as a Methuselim, um, that is always good and bad. I know um, and we, we, we have the privilege uh, to have a lot of experience. We have run to, through two significant crises. Um, um, Including the, this one, obviously. The, the, this is the third one now. Yeah. We had the dot-com crisis uh, 2000, 2001. We had the financial crisis right. 2008, 2009. And we now go through th um, the third crisis. Right. So um, it allows us um, and to, um, <clears throat> yeah, to be prepared to, to what is going to come. Um, I said it at various points. I'm absolutely sure that um, there is a certain latency in the VC industry. And we have not yet uh, seen the full crisis at its full extent. Um, uh, what are you expecting I think um, uh, what are, money is going to become more scarce than it is now. Um, we should just consider that up to March 2020, uh, we have been in an all-time high with respect to fundraising. So there are a lot of uh, fresh funds uh, with a lot of capital available, um, which is now going to be spent. Um, we already see that money is becoming more scarce, since, uh, even though there is a lot of money in the funds. People are, tend to be more focused on uh, existing portfolio than um, um, <clears throat> providing money to new investments. But over time, in the next years, we will see two things. First of all, um, funds uh, are going to be spent and will become increasingly empty. Right. And at the same point of time, fundraising for funds will not be easy because I predict that um, the performance of venture funds book performance will not look as good as it, um, it did the last years because valuation of follow-on rounds will come down. Mm -hmm. In the last crisis, we did see a reduction of value uh, around sizes and uh, valuations right. between two, 20 to 40 percent. I think this crisis might be even deeper. We okay. may see a reduction of 25 to 50 percent. That will be reflected in the NAVs of the funds. So uh, on a nominal <laughs> perspective, um, uh, funds will not look as good as they did beforehand. We will see less exits, mm -hmm. um, less liquidity events, less distribution. That, that all will then lead to um, a, a more challenging fundraising environment. And that will then lead to um, capital being more scarce than before. Right. So talk a little bit about, you know, what kind of specific focus you have as a venture capital firm for those in the audience who might not have heard about the, the, the few that might not have heard about early bird here. So we, as the name suggests, we are, our DNA is early stage. 
uh, our sweet spot is entering in in, in, in promising, um, fascinating growth opportunities um, in Series A or even in uh, late seed stage. Um, and our ambition is to have um, an access to this to these early stage opportunities, which is as comprehensive as possible. And then hopefully have the most qualified election um, <clears throat> filter um, or process um, to decide then for the most promising uh, and, and, and best opportunities and then get to the full extent engaged uh, to support our entrepreneurs to, uh, to utmost success, not only for Series A, Series B, but right. even beyond uh, since we're currently... Um, I have now a growth opportunity fund, which is only dedicated to do the follow-on, later mm -hmm. follow-on investments, but only in our own portfolio. Right. So talk about what makes Munich, as we are here in the middle, in the center of Munich, makes Munich special in terms of what kind of technologies entrepreneurs are looking into and why you find this an attractive um, ecosystem for you as an investor. I mean, being an engineer... Munich, I think, um, is the, um, the deep tech arena. It's um, it has an, an excellent uh, technical university with the uh, with the TUM. Uh, we have lots of um, large tech companies uh, which are headquartered here, um, Infineon, um, <coughs> Siemens, uh, but MTU, many others, which um, lead to um, um, in a very developed deep tech DNA. And as it is in all hubs or clusters, um, 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 if you once have um, um, yeah, evolved to a certain pocket of excellence in a, in a, in a certain array, that attracts even more. So um, I see um, um, a positive flywheel here, um, which creates um, uh, more expertise, attracting more people, uh, building on top of that. So um, I think the attractiveness of Munich is uh, its competence in, in, in various disciplines of, of deep tech, be it in the digital space, software, um, think about Celonis, right. uh, which is a Munich-based uh, company, think about space. Um, uh, we talked about that beforehand. But also in the area of hardware, uh, lots of um, uh, impressive hardware startups, which either have been uh, spinned out of the Technical University of Munich or just decided to incorporate themselves here in Munich because of the density of, um, of skills and uh, um, expertise here. Right. You mentioned space, and I wanted to come back to the company we were talking about, ESA Aerospace. And you mentioned that, you know, since you joined, like after like after years, you made your first investment in, in ESA Aerospace, which is a company that's really fascinating uh, and unique. But I, I guess that not many people outside of Munich and outside the ecosystem of Munich know about this company. So so why is that? Is that, you know, there's a huge, huge trend uh, for aerospace right now with Elon Musk, obviously, and many others, uh, Jeff Bezos, and everybody's like marketing that. Uh, what, what's what's missing in, in the ecosystem uh, to, to present these interesting and fascinating entrepreneurs in, in a better way? I mean, um, I think this is, I mean, we were talking about the strengths of Munich. Um, I think if, if there's a structural weakness of Munich, it's marketing. Um, um, if I may say, I, I know it's pretty, um, um, John would say, it's um, um, uh, pretty superficial. But, uh, Berlin is excellent in, 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 in marketeers and in, in digital marketing and in, um, 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 yeah, consumer internet. 
that is something uh, which is um, not in the core of the um, of the expertise here in Munich. So, um, if we think about ESA Aerospace, uh, the level of PR they have created, um, um, public awareness, if you want, and compare that to what they have achieved. Um, it is um, vastly disproportionate. It is totally out of balance. These guys, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a spin-out of the Technical University of Munich, which um, um, is sort of, um, 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 yeah, the um, um, the uh, crystallization point or the origination of all space industry um, uh, going 50, 70 years back. And uh, out of this, core competency. They have created a young team, have created a true rocket company, which is very close to space. I mean, bringing a rocket into space um, is, is not trivial at all. At the end of this year, um, uh, we're going to perform um, what we call the 300 seconds hot fire test, which means that um, 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 the rocket engine um, will be tested in the test stand for the full duration you need to fly into orbit, so getting out of the atmosphere. Um, if that um, if all components have been successfully tested, that will be the first time that the system fully assembled will, will be tested. And then um, um, at flight conditions on the Earth, but at flight conditions. And if that is uh, going to be successful, which I believe it will, but uh, we have to see, I uh, hope it's not going to explode. Um, <laughs> so and then yeah. we are very, very close um, to first launch, which is scheduled for 2021. Which is, I mean, which is huge. I mean, everybody... It's, it's huge. I mean, this is um, the first are, space mission out of Germany. Um, right. I mean, we had... Um, uh, we are part of Ariane Space, as you know, but Ariane um, has been, uh, the vast majority of the design of Ariane and the rocket engine has been performed in France. Uh, um, so Germany had only a fraction of it and uh, actually the smaller and less important fraction. So it's the very first time since 50 or not even longer years that um, a completely new de uh, designed rocket out of Germany will enter space. Right. And this is from, from the strategic standpoint, not only for Germany, but also for Europe, is from utmost importance. Then we, we've been talking about um, um, the space as a new platform technology to deliver uh, hundreds, thousands of new services um, and uh, hundreds and thousands of new startups um, will be created on the basis of lower orbit uh, microcubes. So, um, and the bottleneck to access um, that business opportunity are launching capacities. So having launcher rockets, which are able um, to place these uh, microsatellites in lower orbit space. And um, even globally, there is um, um, a shortage of capacity. We're, so um, Falcon 9 uh, from SpaceX um, is not a competitor because Falcon 9 is a higher orbit rocket. Right, yeah. It's 15 tons in, uh, in payload. Um, it's way too far, too, too much uh, in order to, to, to place microsats, uh, which are only 20, 50, 100 kilo in weight in the lower orbit because you would have, have, you would have to have hundreds on board in order um, to really uh, take advantage of the high payload. And you cannot place hundreds or thousand um, uh, cubes um, on the same orbit level, yeah, it doesn't right. work. So right. it's it's um, it's um, not flexible enough. You need micro launchers with payloads. We have decided for um, a good ton or 1.2 tons as payload, 
um, which we think is um, is probably um, the right size and compromise between economies of scale. So the larger the payload is, the more economies of scale you have and flexibility on the other hand side to be able um, to to, to, to um, target um, the different um, target positions of the microcubes. Talk about the business models that you are going to expect. You mentioned it's going to be the next platform for new services. I mean, obviously, bandwidth, internet connection would be one of them. Maps would be another. So so what, what kind of business opportunities do you see there as an investor? So it's not really about, it's not about the rocket. It's about the business opportunity on that platform. So so talk about the next, you know, level of services on these So first of all, either aerospace is um, the launching um, um, company. So their business model is to sell um, uh, transport services, uh, bringing cubes into space. And as said, um, we consider that to be the strategic bottleneck. Which is um, the first step towards for the first step, And you, right. you've got to have um, that capacity in order to be able to take advantage of the new technological um, service opportunities you have in space. Um, so, and um, I must admit, um, if you now think about uh, services possible in space, it's almost infinite. Um, I mean, we start with all sorts of data communication. It can be voice, it can be video, it can be pure um, data, internet, whatever it is. Could it help, to, you know, to get Bavarian rural areas access to the internet? Which definitely. definitely. Yeah, no, no, no. You, uh, definitely. Not only Bavarian rural areas, but even myth of the ocean and um, myth of Africa. Because um, uh, the microcubes um, flying around Earth don't care whether it's in rural area of Bavaria or whatever. You, it makes basically the earthbound, it can make the earthbound base stations obsolete. And it can deliver the same communication service at a fraction of the cost. Right. Yeah? Um, uh, because just think about what it would mean if you would cover um, um, uh, the entirety of the Earth. Uh, comprehensively with base stations connected with fiber. Right. I mean, it, that is a level of cost no one can imagine, no one can afford. But you can afford to launch, I don't know what it is, a 10,000 to maybe 50,000 microcubes um, um, circling around the earth, covering everything. Right. That's possible. You mentioned you mentioned that, you know, the plan is to launch in uh, 21. The, the, first... The, first, the first commercial launch is planned for 21. When do you think we get there, that we can really, you know, use space as a next platform for new businesses, new services. Yeah, yeah. It. It, is, it, is, it is not far off. Yeah? The, um, the basic transmission technology, the microcubes technology that's there. Um, what holds us back right now is rather the launching capacity of the rockets than um, the, um, um, the satellite infrastructure. But I mean, um, um, setting up a system of um, thousands of, of microcubes and launching them is a costly effort. Right. Um, it is so as if you um, decide to, to build a new 5G set, I don't know, um, in what region. Yeah. The only difference is the region you're talking about is um, uh, the earth, everything. Right. Um, so you have to get uh, the funding. You have to, to, um, to it's, it's a, it, it is still a huge investment. It is only a fraction of what it would have cost you um, to cover the earth with base stations, but it's still a significant investment. So right. we need to have these 
um, 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 service firms who have funding capability and um, the entrepreneurial spirit to go for that. If I look at the unsolicited interest for launching um, services which we face in either aerospace, it is overwhelming. So we have not even started to market the service because we want to um, to get the rocket flying first. Um, but um, if I just take, so we, we, they're always, um, and they're all, always, it's fun. It, we have also um, um, demand for multiple years of um, our full capacity and, and, and launching or a, or a satellite system companies are asking to secure um, uh, launching slots, um, which just displays how scarce, uh, reliable, and, and um, also cost-efficient. That's another important point. Cost-efficient launching capacities are... to the next part of this podcast, which is our beer garden break. Since we are a Bavarian Bits and Pretzels conference, we obviously want to have something Bavarian here. Obviously, Oktoberfest is not happening, even though I wanted to move over to our beer garden bench here virtually and want to say uh, cheers, Henry. Cheers, cheers. Cheers. <laughs> what are we drinking to? Um... What are we drinking to? Um, I think um, we are drinking to that um, we are all getting well out of this current uh, special situation, um, especially that um, we'll um, get over the health problems many, many people have. And uh, we, we get as quick as possible the solution that people um, um, yeah, will stop to suffer from, from COVID-19. I think this is a core um, consideration everybody should have. If that happens, um, um, an economic upturn will follow. Um, but I think of utmost importance is to think of the people who, who suffer right now. Right. You know, we talked about healthcare. Obviously, Early Bird has a strong focus on healthcare, uh, which is also part of the biotech scene, which is like deep tech again. So, so talk about what new developments you see in the setup community, specifically in, in the focus with deep tech uh, technology and why Munich is such a special place for, for this uh, layer of the industry. Okay, if you allow me, I would zoom out a little bit and uh, give the privilege I have since I'm now in the three, third decade to observe our industry. I think um, uh, one observation I make is that the speed of innovation has ever accelerated. If we go back to the um, time pre-2000, um, I would state that every decade um, we have been faced with a new technological platform um, or, or, or platform technology which allowed for a whole new array of new startups business concepts so um, um, you know in, in the, between 80 and 90 it was a PC then between the 80s and the 90s and 2000 it was the internet and then the mobile internet right. came etc if I now do the fast forward and see um, uh, what we're currently seeing, I would say we currently, in, in the last decade, we have probably seen three new platform technologies, such as um, social cloud, cloud computing. Um, uh, we have seen uh, things like artificial intelligence, and we have been faced with blockchain. 
Right. Um, um, and all of the three of them uh, I consider as being um, fundamental platform technology allowing for a whole new arrays of um, um, interesting, fascinating business models and each of them possibly as big as uh, the mobile internet uh, with respect to mm -hmm. new opportunities. So from one per decade to uh, three per decade, um, which um, um, multiplies um, the opportunity for um, um, technological or technology-driven startups. So if I now um, look, uh, turn around and look into the future, I think um, for the decade from 2020 to 2030, we may see even more than three. I can also see two coming. And we're just in 2020. And, right. um, and I'm pretty sure that over the next couple of years, we will observe new um, platform technologies, which we are not yet aware of. So the two I see, we were talking about space. Um, for me, clearly an in, in emerging technology platform. Mm -hmm. And uh, another thing is probably um, supercomputing or quantum computing, um, uh, which will play an important role. So... Um, um, if the incremental cost of um, of data processing is going to zero, it has a huge impact. Which are both deep tech technologies. Absolutely. So, um, so um, I, I, I'm saying this that I think that um, the number and and the breadth of um, deep tech innovation, which is suitable um, as a, as a platform for new technology startups, is just exploding. Right. And. Um, in, in, if I now um, um, bring that into <laughs> to the context of Munich, uh, since Munich is, um, I think, well positioned for deep tech startups, uh, I think it is good that we are here and uh, we should be and we should remain active here. I think. Obviously, uh, Early Bird uh, had a huge exit. I was mentioning it earlier in, in January when uh, Peak Game, uh, a developer, a game developer from Istanbul, uh, sold to US game company Zynga, which is a company that I pass by very often because it's in San Francisco, obviously. And Early Bird, you made like half a billion, I guess, out of this deal. Yeah, even more. And we already distributed half of it um, to our LPs and there's more to come because uh, we have been paid uh, 50% in shares and uh, Zynga oh. shares. Mm -hmm. uh, since the deal um, went up, I think almost 20% already. So um, so what's the plan for you to like, what kind of new technologies do you want to invest uh, this money in? So first of all, this money is not going to be invested in new technologies. It's distributed to our LPs. Um, so, um, yeah, we, we, we're looking for opportunities uh, targeting very large markets. Um, we, we're looking for market sizes, um, double-digit billions, um, because our philosophy is that uh, we'd like to see in each and every investment we are undertaking an uncapped upside, if you want. So it has to be able to grow into Unicorn and maybe even Decacorn. Um, and that only happens if markets, underlying markets, are sufficiently large. Second thing, what is important for us is we're um, looking for sustainably differentiated business models, which are defendable. Mm -hmm. And um, obviously, in um, in differentiate technologies, maybe even protected technologies, uh, the likelihood that you, you can make the case that this is um, sustainably defendable is something which is likely uh, or it's, it's probably easier to happen. Right. 
Um, that's why we 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 are not entirely focused on on deep tech. We we um, we are very active in fin and sure tech, as you well uh, as you probably know. And we also doing um, investments in the area of uh, direct to consumer and um, sustainability. Nevertheless, um, 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 there's a certain deep tech DNA in our firm, and um, we like that differentiation. And we bet to a lesser extent in pure excellence and execution, if you want. And last but not least, um, um, the the holy grail of each early stage investment uh, is finding the right teams. Right. I was just I was just going to ask you what kind of entrepreneurial skill set you are looking for. What do you have to bring to the table as an entrepreneur? So the good message is there is not the um, 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 you know the prototype, the template how a, a, a successful entrepreneur has has to be. So um, there are many, many ways to roam to become a successful entrepreneur, and um, we appreciate that. On the other hand side, um, there's one thing which I have um, learned over the last decades, um, what uh, differentiates uh, successful entrepreneurs from potentially less successful. And the very successful entrepreneurs have, um, I call it the entrepreneurial compass inside. They have the ability through what methodology um, um, ever. Um, they have the ability to navigate in difficult situations with relatively less or a few data available um, into um, a good decision. They taking um, in fast be it um, gut feeling, be it because they have great um, uh, um, um, intuition, yeah, grew intuition, they have a group of advisors, they're intellectually superior, whatever the, um, the concept is they apply, doesn't matter. The decisive thing is that they have this entrepreneurial compass and can come to good and, and right decisions at a higher share than others. And the interesting thing is that um, if you have that ability, That is vastly independent from the industry you're in. I have seen good entrepreneurs emerging out of the tech industry, then making some money and transitioning into real estate and are equally successful in the other way around. It doesn't really matter where you apply that set, the skill set of, of um, um, coming to a good entrepreneurial decision. That is something which uh, um, 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 a good CEO, yeah, but, but, but a good successful entrepreneur should have. And I think this is uh, distinct. It's difficult to find out if you're the first time entrepreneur. And this is also one of the challenges we have as an investor. We try to get to know um, our startup teams and um, we, 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 we put a lot of emphasis in the personal interaction and um, not only introduce ourselves so that they can really judge us We really like to get to know um, the teams from our side and come to um, yeah the conclusion and to the um, to a certain um, judgment whether we believe that team has these entrepreneurial compass um, uh, embedded. Before we go on, here's a brief message from us. We just kicked off ticket sales for our highlight event in the fall, the virtual Bits and Pretzels Networking Week from September 27th to October 2nd. If you want to learn more about our program featuring the top of the league of the international founder NPC community and get your ticket before it's too late and we are sold out, go to bitsandpretzels.com. Again, that's bitsandpretzels.com. Tickets are limited, so better hurry up. 
Yeah, and I think it's a perfect transition to our toolbox, which uh, is a box where we share, like where every guest shares three tools he or she finds important for entrepreneurs. Number one. I think it is extremely important to have um, a very small set of uh, trusted advisors. Uh, people who are willing um, um, to hold up a mirror and and, uh, and who have good judgment and are not afraid to be critical. Number two. Second, it is very important to develop methodology to, in, in a certain frequent um, to step back and try to, to view critical what has been done and what, what I'm doing right now. to the very last part of our podcast, which is our either or game. And this is how it works. I give you two words. You have to choose one and have to explain like real quick why you made that choice. Ooh, okay. Bits or pretzels? Um, bits. Um, and, you know, I'm living since um, 36 years in Munich. Uh, I still don't love pretzels. <laughs> Star Trek or Star Wars? Star Trek or Star Wars? Um, uh, I think I will go for Star Wars because I enjoy the movies. <laughs> Captain Kirk or Jean-Luc Picard? Um, okay, um, <laughs> that goes with the last question. Captain Kirk. <laughs> Moon or Mars? Moon or Mars? Moon. Moon or Mars? Ah, Moon or Mars. Um, good question. I think, um, you know, um, I go for moon. Mars is the, um, uh, the old male planet. Um, I think we, we should go for diversity. Maybe moon is more diverse than Mars. <laughs> Conquer or compromise? Compromise. Um, I think uh, this is, uh, I'm, I'm deeply convinced uh, that being inclusive is um, only the only way to, to unleash, and to, 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 yeah, to unleash um, the power of teams. Um, and power of teams is always uh, more powerful than an individual victory. Talking or listening? Yeah. Um, Given to what I said and what I'm, I'm convinced about, uh, it's listening. Uh, unfortunately, if you would ask people about me, um, uh, many of them will say he likes to talk a lot. So, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so there might be, um, 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 you know, um, um, <clears throat> a gap um, um, with respect to, to to good implementation. So you have to work on your own introspection. I have to work. I have to reflect. <laughs> At least I can reflect on that, and I know my my weaknesses. Uh, but I know how um, I'm, I'm convinced and I know how important listening is. Chaos or order? Yeah, that's um, uh, intended. It's difficult because it's neither uh, neither or. Um, 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 actually, it's um, it's somewhere in between. But total chaos um, is not good. So if I have to make the choice, I go for the order then. Spending or saving? Spending. Because? Spending is investing. Um, spending can be positive. I mean, um, um, spending is not uh, a sheer consuming. It can also be investing. Uh, so uh, that's pretty clear. And even consuming is is not a bad thing because um, um, we live to have fun and to, to enjoy life. And some consuming is therefore important. Dreamer or realist? I'm realist. Because you're an investor and you look at the numbers 
you know, I'm an engineer and, and I'm, 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 I'm fact and science based. Uh, um, that, that doesn't say that I do not have dreams. Of course I have dreams, but I think, um, and, and again, I have to, to, to take the choice. I, I'm a realist. Who would you take you with you to Mars if you would ever go there? My family. Henrik Brandes, thanks so much for coming on the Bits and Presses podcast. It was a huge pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for inviting me. It was a lot of fun. All right, that was it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Live long, prosper, and keep on listening. You'll find all episodes of this show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to podcasts. Please subscribe. And if you like what you are hearing, please tell at least five friends about us. We would really appreciate it. Don't ever miss hot startup updates from Munich, Austria and Switzerland again and learn the latest about what top founders and VCs from the international innovation community we have in store for our event in the fall. Come and visit us at bitsandpretzels.com. Again, that's bitsandpretzels.com. Stay safe and see you next week. <laughs>